Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode of Engage the Official Star Trek podcast is brought to you by NHTSA. NHTSA is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And as we get into uh, the holidays and uh, New Year's Eve, it's important to talk about uh, safety and driving drunk. Now, we all know the risks of driving drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. You could get arrested, incur huge legal expenses, and possibly even lose your job. Uh, You know the consequences of driving drunk, and you know that they are wrong, even though you said it was no big deal. Too drunk to drive means too drunk for complicated apps. So, NHTSA is sponsoring something called Safer Ride, and it is the simplest possible way to get home safe and only has three self-explanatory buttons on the home screen. You can call a friend, locate and call a cab company, or bring up a map of your current location. So let's help NHTSA end drunk driving by doing our part to use the Safer Ride app and get home safely. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Earth Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Special Miss Burnham. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And to make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hello, frequencies Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is a big day here at Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. We're in a new studio. Oh, whoops. So new, I'm dropping stuff. Uh, we're in a we're in a new studio, a makeshift studio. This is like we used to have the Battle Bridge, right, Brian? This yeah. Is like, so this is. Uh, well, this what is, could you call it? Like emergency bunker? What is the Star Trek equivalent of um, of Hoth? An escape pod? Escape <laughs> pod. Um, a runabout. We're in a runabout. Sure. We're in a runabout. We're in a shuttlecraft. Um, for one week and one week only, uh, Star Trek, uh, Engage the Official Star Trek Podcast has moved downtown. We are we're downtown. Very, we're very hip now. We're downtown. I'm wearing a beret, <laughs> and I'm uh, smoking a rolled... Clove cigarette because we're downtown hipsters <laughs> and uh, we've moved downtown, but everything's in boxes. Listeners, all of my sound effects are in boxes this week. Actually, you know what the, the saddest thing is so far is I packed up all our props for when we had our first episode. We had yeah. the video and we had all the stuff in the background. Yeah. I packed all that stuff up. So far, the uh, the botleth is not to be found. <laughs> we lost the botleth. You I, have, I can't find it right now. Brian, so. you've brought dishonor yes, upon this house. I have. I, I, have, shamed, I have shamed this, this podcast. <laughs> you have been... Um, the movers have shamed this podcast. Yes. I packed it up very nicely. 
It's terrible. Ter- well, one thing I'm proud to see, Brian, is that you did bring your favorite green plaid shirt. Yes. All right, so we got a lot to talk about here on uh, Engage Official Star Trek Podcast. First downtown episode and second to last of the year. Uh, we have a special guest with us today. Karen Hahn is here. Hello, Karen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Karen Hahn is a writer for The Daily Beast, and you can also find her work on Vice and Vulture and Slash Film. That's correct. And she is a tremendous fan of Star Trek Discovery. So we know she's a good person. And where are you in Star Trek in general? Like, how are you? Have you? Are you? Have you voraciously watched all of it? I mean, you're a relatively young person, so none of this was on the. I would imagine that by the time, uh, like Deep Space Nine had ended, you were still but a wee less. So, mm-hmm. um, have you gone back and watched all of it? Or are you kind of new to Discovery? I'm pretty new. I feel like a lot of what I'm going to say on this podcast is going to sound end up being kind of like heretical just because of my lack of deep Star Trek knowledge. No, you know, no let's rephrase that as a refreshing <laughs> perspective. Okay, okay. That's the proper way to phrase it, a refreshing perspective. But yeah, um, I didn't watch that much of anything while I was growing up, so I'm definitely behind on my Star Trek lore. Um, I've started kind of going back through older episodes um after like the first J.J. Abrams movie came out, right? Yeah, because um, that was like the first I think big like zeitgeisty thing to put Star Trek back into the right pop cultural matrix. You said, "Oh, this thing I've heard about my whole life." Exactly. Uh, you know, it's like you know, you hear about Lord of the Rings, and then you see the movie in two thousand one. You go, "Oh, I should probably read those old books." Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, cool. Well, you know, it's funny then because there are this to, the topic of today's episode is going to be uh, David Mack's book uh, D- Desperate Hours, which is the first Star Trek. Uh, Discovery novel, and it's a prequel novel. And um, interestingly enough, David Mack, who's been a guest on this show thrice, I want to say, um, it seems like thrice, uh, did pretty, he, he, he held back on the in-jokes. He held back on the Easter eggs. There are not, there are a few, um, and the ones that are there are pretty outstanding, one in particular, and Scott Kalara of IGN, if you're listening, uh, I was reading at my kitchen table, and I read something, and I almost texted you, and then I realized it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I said, <laughs> don't do that, because his wife will get angry. But there is Scott Kalara, your favorite character, in, well, maybe your second favorite character in all of Trek lore is in this book on page 302. We'll get to that later. <laughs> so he... Um, <laughs> but David Mack kind of kind of held back. So uh, again, part of the mandate of if you're a hardcore fan and you know everything, Discovery is for you. But if you are, and don't take this personal, Karen. Not even if you are, me. if you are a noob, <laughs> if you wear the scarlet N, and you are a noob, uh, it's okay because this is for you too. Thank you. Um, but you're not a noob. You've been wa- you watch the whole season obsessively. It's incredible. I love it so much. Yeah, you're in love with Saru. I think everyone is. I, yeah. I don't want to speak for everybody, but <laughs> were you? Th- wait, you were there in at that party, right? Yes, I was. All right, let's back it up, Brian. We got to tell you what happened. Sure. Did I fi- so that's Karen Han. She's gonna be our guest today, and we're gonna talk about um, the book. And we have to tell a quick story about Saru. But before we do, there's one other news item, um, Brian. Uh, last week we talked over the phone about the rumor. About uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yes, we did. And the cr- and we spoke twelve hours after the news item <laughs> broke, 
And the crux of what I said was, this is just a rumor. This is not going to happen. It's fun to think about. But let's all calm down. And I do still think, by and large, the chances of a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film at a theater near you is very, very slight. Uh, and, you know, listen to last week's episode, because I went into the politics of why Paramount would do this, why J.J. Abrams would let the story break, and Quentin, and blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that did happen between last week and this week was interesting was some intrepid reporter spoke to Patrick Stewart, and he was in, like, Qatar or hmm. the United Arab Emirates or something like that. He was accepting an award at the... Interesting. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. like at the, at the... I know what you're going to say, but I didn't know that's where he was. No, he, he, was in, he was in the Middle East somewhere accepting an award for the at the Blah 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 Film Festival, the Abu Dhabi okay. Film Festival or something like that. Um, why... What... I guess for Logan. All right. I mean, they couldn't get anybody else, I guess. So that's why they got Patrick Stewart. He's still pretty uh, good. No, he's great. I know. But is he the guy you give an award to this? I mean, I, yes. You, of course you do. You give it to Patrick Stewart. So Patrick Stewart was getting an award, and some intrepid reporter said, hey, have you seen Variety? Quentin's doing a Trek movie. Would you want to play Patrick Stewart? Would you want to play uh, Captain <laughs> Picard again? And Picard, uh, Stewart has been pretty, uh, you know, the last few years, he's been like, it's done, you know, because whenever any of these guys get approached, and the the standard line is like, "I'm oh, I love the character." Right. If they ever want to call me, because most of the people they're asking don't do that much work. I mean, when you're asking Counselor Troy, do you want to play Counselor Troy again? What is she going to do? And she's going to say yes. You know, of course she does. So, uh, no diss to Counselor Troy, but you know, Patrick Stewart's always been like, you know, I I do appear at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in the part of King Lear, you know, fairly regularly, and I'm in Logan and. You know, maybe it's time to hang up the 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 hang up my space boots. Uh, but he was like Quentin Tarantino directing Trek. Shit, yeah, that's not a direct quote, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty sure? much what he said. And you know, it's those little small, you know, stories that sort of propel. It starts to become a self fulfilling prophecy when yeah. enough of those things happen. And what's interesting <coughs> is, you know, I had just assumed. Quentin, all we knew is that Quentin Tarantino said, I have an idea. You know, mm-hmm. He woke up one morning and he's brushing his teeth, scrambling his eggs. I have an idea for a movie. And we just assumed that it was going to be an original series. But maybe it's not enough. Maybe it's Next Generation. Or maybe it is original series, but he will figure out a way to get Patrick Stewart in there because mm-hmm. he could. I mean, the thing that excites me about this probably never going to happen Tarantino film is to treat it like uh, in comics, what you would call a uh, a one shot, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to the rest of the continuity. It doesn't have to play by the same rules and have the same tone, you know. Give it a try, and if you don't like it, then then forget it, you know, because nothing else going on with Star Trek movies right now, anyhow. And then the other thing, <laughs> well, didn't they also say it was going to be uh, that Tarantino said it would be an R? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that w- that wasn't made well, available when we talked about it last, right? Which I find. <sighs> Interesting. I find, like, you know, write the movie first and then find out what, like, don't go in, like, I would say to him, do what you want to do and then let the MPAA figure it out. Like, don't go in swinging, like, I declare this shall be rated R. Like, that just seems a little childish to me. That seems to be happening a lot, though, with kind of big properties where they're, like, to make sure that it appeals to um, a a quote-unquote adult audience, we're going to come out the gate swing and say, it's going to be an R, it's going to be dark and gritty, and that's why you're going to like it. Well, I mean, I feel like people, when you hear Tarantino, I feel like people expect an R. They expect some some level of... uh, Are any of of his movies not R? I doubt. I don't it. think so, right? I, and how could they? They're all very. I can't violent. think of any that wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> like the least violent of his movies, I guess, is Jackie Brown. That's got f bombs all over the place. Yeah. And a lot of sex. 
um, Bridget Fonda in a bikini. Um, so, I mean, I'm not even the biggest Tarantino fan. You know, I think he's like, sure, Reservoir Dogs was like a revelation at the time, and Pulp Fiction was very, very cool. But like, you know, I don't know. Kill Bill Part Two is really not that good. Oh, it's really not. Kill Bill Part One is fine, but like, eventually, it's like stop hurting each other. These are very hot takes. No, I, mean, I remember I saw Kill Bill Part One. Like, cut! Like, who needs to see that many people get attacked with a sword? Me, Me one thousand yeah, percent. I, I it just goes on and on the and on. The second one was a little, a little bit more disappointing, but I, I mm. did really enjoy that first one. I did love. I like, um, strangely enough, Death Proof, mm-hmm. and I like uh, Inglorious Bastards. And the things that I like about those two movies is I like the scenes, the really long dialogue scenes. I find <laughs> to be really, really engaging. Inglorious Bastards has a lot of that. Oh so my god, the scene in the bar when he's yeah, yeah. upstairs and downstairs and like, you're not going to shoot me. No, I'm not going to shoot you. You promise? I yeah. promise. Comes down and shoots him. So that. So so here's the, here's the thing. And 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 let's back it up. So one of the things we talked about last week and it's been floated is that Tarantino said, look. I, um, wouldn't it be an, cool he gave this in an interview on a podcast maybe two years ago if we took one of the classic episodes mm-hmm. and redid it so imagine if you did City on the Edge of Forever just picture this in your head C- City on the Edge of Forever with Chris Pines and Zach Quino and Carl Urban I mean, those would be the three it also uh, gets rid of the Zoe Saldana problem because Uhura's ba- barely in that episode because she's too busy to, she's in Avatar six times she has no time to do these <laughs> so if you had City on the Edge of Forever, but like with long dialogue scenes with those actors, because they're really, really good, those three. You know, they're really great. And then you get somebody to play Edith Keeler. It could be anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be kind of amazing. Um, you know, R-rated? Who knows? But it's all very, very unlikely. But it's just funny that it's like a news story that I thought would die. And there was like, a, like you said, there was the R rated thing, mm-hmm. which that one kind of struck me as like, <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like people would ask that a lot. Like, a, like, you know, like, oh, hey, it's Star Trek. They've never done something like this before. You know, are you going to dumb down your normal movies? Right, right. Uh, the, your tone of your normal movies because it's a, uh, an I, a huge IP. Right. And he's like, no. Do it my way. It'll be an R, it'll be my yeah. way, whatever. If you're going to hire Tarantino, let him make his movie. I mean, that's the thing. You're bending, like, Star Trek, the brand as I hold this licensed novel for hardcore fans, does have a certain uh, bubble that it plays in, a certain sandbox that it plays mm-hmm. in. You know, you can't, you don't have that much sex and violence in it. You know, it has to be, um, you know, Star Trek is not for kids, but it is, you know, but it is, um, kids can watch it, you know? There's the sort of the, uh, the, the more cerebral 11-year-old that will watch... Deep Space Nine. You know? I, I will say that every time uh, I was when I watched Discovery, that my son was still awake. Um, he would come across some like Klingon scene where there was some like violence, and, yeah. he, and he would want. <laughs> I would pause it or stop it, and he'd just want to know, and he'd be like pointing the TV, and I'm like, Aww. no, you, no, you shouldn't watch this. No, that is a tardigrade ripping the spine out of yeah. uh, somebody. I was going to say like Discovery does kind of go like a little more in. Oh, absolutely, that yeah. It's certainly well. It's and it had the famous f bomb, <laughs> and it has um, more violence than ever before mm-hmm. um, of what's shown. I mean, it's it's still like there are a lot of mangled bodies in Discovery yeah. that you've never seen, and um, you know it has the gay romance which rankles some ultra conservative viewers for God knows what reason. So um, it is pushing the envelope. So anyway, um, I'm. I mean, what do you think? Do you like Tarantino Star Trek? Are you like some when the news broke? Some people were just like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Were you? 
was pretty ambivalent about it, just in so much as like that's not a combination I'd ever consider. No, but never. there's no universe in which you could be like, here's a Star Trek movie and Quentin Tarantino directed it that I wouldn't want to go see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, any sort of major auteur with a with a, oh, with, yeah. a with their own personal stamp, you know? Why not? I mean, the, the, there are there are some people who feel very possessive of a franchise, and I certainly understand that because I host the Star Trek podcast. <laughs> so you don't want other people bringing their baggage to your thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you kind of have to, and this is just philosophy in life in general. It's like you gotta, you can't be, you got if you love something, set it free. You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, if, if Martin Scorsese, if Hong Sang Soo, if if uh, if any major, uh, you know, if Jim Jarmusch, if anybody wanted to do Star Trek, Bong Joon Ho Star Trek would rule, I think. You know, actually, uh, that would make a lot of sense, frankly. Yeah, he loves that weird stuff. He does. Um, he and the creatures certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't even be a weird guy to do it. He would make no, perfect no, yeah, sense. Yeah. Like that would be a good guy to do it. <laughs> So, um, you know, like, uh, give it a shot. Like, it doesn't, I, I guess the thing is, and, and I do struggle with it, like, people who don't like remakes or sequels, they, they feel like you have this perfect thing. Uh, you have mm-hmm. your thing. And then a remake comes and it doesn't ruin the original. On paper, it shouldn't. Like, people who don't like the Ghostbusters remake with, with Melissa McCarthy. And they're like, well, the original was, so, was my thing. And it's like, well, gotta, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't make it so that the original thing didn't exist. So I know. It's pretty yeah, chill. I mean, I sort of understand. Like, you're like, oh, all right, they gotta, yeah. or like a cover of a song you love that suddenly stinks, and like it's, some, <laughs> it's like some artist you don't like doing it. It's like, well, you know what it is? It's just part of getting older. Oh no, no, the part yeah? of the songs is what when when a, 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 like a kid comes up to you and says, oh, they love that song, but it's not by the artist that you know. It's about the, right, the new right, artist. Right, and you have right. no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember that when I, because I'm older than all of you, I remember when Mick Jagger and David Bowie had a big hit with Dancing in the Streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, I was very, very young. It was the first time I heard it. And I was watching it on MTV, as I did back then. And my mother was like, what the hell is this? This is a song from my era. And I'm like, no, it's Mick Jagger and David Bowie. <laughs> she got all upset at me. And then she was like, nobody can do anything original anymore. <laughs> Wow. You know, <laughs> in yeah. today's moviescape, that's a pretty... <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, that's what time it is with uh, Quentin Tarantino's potential thing. And you know what else about uh, what time it is, Brian? What I don't know. What time is it? it? The time is, if you had a watch, you would know. You would not have to look at your phone. Yeah, I'm looking at my phone. Because Well, you're waiting for that email. I'm waiting the, for that email. Did, they, did Seth get back to you? I, I did. I, I, I sent them both to you. Oh, they're there. I sent you emails. Right, yes. <laughs> Thanks. Um... <laughs> There's there's the old expression. What time it is? Remember Flav of Flav? He yeah. would wear a giant clock around his neck. Um, so we should bring that back. I should. No, what I'm I'm not bringing back. I'm helping propel is uh, the great watches at Movement Watches and, and Movement Watches MVMT for short is the sponsor of this show. And this is a very slick and uh, nice way to know what time it is. Imagine. I'm not, I'm not wearing my movement watch today. But I was going to say, I don't think <laughs> that's, that's what they look like. Watch. No, I don't bring it out all the time. I bring it out sure. when I want to impress. No offense. Oh, I mean, okay. Nothing, you know, when I, when I, the movement watch. But the sure, thing is, you sure. don't have to save your movement watch because it only costs like 95 bucks. You can get a movement watch for 95 bucks and they look like hundreds and hundreds in a department store. And movement watches, as you well know, were founded by uh, two guys. They were out of college. 
Uh, they were their names were Joe Move and Philip Ment, <laughs> and Joe Move and Philip Ment uh, started uh, designing these very sleek watches that were affordable to young Schmendricks like themselves. And uh, they, you know, they look very impressive, and you know, they certainly tell the time well, which is uh, nice. And uh, you know, it's kind of a new thing. Like, you know, you go out with your buddies, and you want to impress, and go, oh, we got to get there by eleven thirty. What time is it now? Everybody starts digging in their pocket, <laughs> trying to get their phone out. You know, it's embarrassing. It's a, it's a better move to just look at your wrist and say. Be there by 11.30, we got to leave in five minutes. You know, then you're the cool guy. So the way that you too can be the cool guy is to go to mvmt.com slash engage. Brian, we have a special um, deal. You get uh, 15% off with 15, free, free shipping and free returns. 15% off. You're getting three special things, but you're only going to use two of them. You're going to yes. get 15% off, which you're going to want. Free shipping, you're going to want that. Mm -hmm. Free returns, not a factor. <laughs> Not a factor. Who's going to return their movement watch? I, I wouldn't. No. Only the <laughs> only the shysters at the heart of um, what was the name of the planet? There was the, Saris Three. Yes, Saris Three. If you were one of the shady contractors <laughs> on Saris Three, the Col Colvis Mining Corporation, or those guys are scumbags. Yeah. They would send back their movement watch because they're looking oh for God. like a fix or something. So that's what's going on. Check out movement watches. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Our Trek Podcast. Energize. So it's mid-season here on Discovery, uh, which is, um, you know, what do you do when you need your Discovery fix? Two days after Discovery premiered on CBS, uh, regular CBS, uh... The book came out, um, but I didn't read it until recently, and I'm kind of glad I waited because this is a really great thing to have during the off time. It gives you it gives you the fix you're needing. It's a good holdover. A great holdover, and it does a lot of contextualizing of the char some of the characters we've grown to love. Now, Desperate Hours by David Mack, and David Mack, as you know, he's a star. He's a novelist of all sorts of things. He he's written his own. Uh, his own work, as well as other sort of franchise fiction, but he's written a uh, 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 boatload. And he's also written some Star Trek episodes. Uh, one for um, DS... Uh, he had the story credit on DS9, and um, one... Uh, was it Starship Mine? Was that his? I think it was, on t on TNG. No, it wasn't Starship Mine. That was... I don't know, he had two. I, I don't remember what they were, but he, he's written two, um, and they're great. Uh, and... Um, He's written a lot of Star Trek books, so it was it makes sense that he would be the guy to do this one. And um, what's interesting is that this is a prequel novel, so it's set one year before the Battle of the Binary Stars. So what that means is a lot of the characters from Discovery are actually not in this. 
Yeah, it's really just like three characters yeah. that we get to look at that are in the series, right? Or four, I guess. But if you, are you, very if you're counting De- uh, Detmer, Detmer yeah. yeah, which is funny because uh, you don't get to know Detmer much in Discovery, no, and even remotely. in his book, she gets like one line. <laughs> That's kind of like the running gag is like <clears throat> bridge officers. Nah, they don't matter. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, no Lorca, mm-hmm. no Stamets, no Culber, uh, no um, no Ash. Well. No Vok either, for that matter. <laughs> uh, so none of those guys. But this is a story set on the Shenzhou, and uh, you're going to get a lot of uh, Captain Georgiou, a lot of Saru, and a lot of Michael Burnham, and also a lot of Spock, mm-hmm. a little bit of Sarek, mm-hmm. a little bit of Amanda, and um, some new characters as well. Oh, and a whole lot of Captain Pike. Yes. And a whole lot of uh, number one, a.k.a. Una. Which I was very confused about at first. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, we discovered her name. That was sort of a deep cut. That was, uh, she's number one. I mean, but they call her Una a lot. We only learned that her name was Una in some other recent books. The Legacies trilogy from uh, 2016, oh, huh. uh, which David Mack was part of. She'd always just been number one. Yeah, yeah. You know, from the cage. And it's great because she and Saru start flirting in this. Well, are they flirting or does Saru um, just have the hots for I her? Think yeah, I think he's, he's got a little infatuation with her. Yeah, which is awesome. Crush. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely. That's the best. Yeah. I, I enjoyed best. that. <laughs> number one, of course, is Majel Barrett, who then uh, she was she played number one in the cage, and then she was uh, Nurse Chapel in the original series, and then Loxana Troy from the Next Generation, and then of course the voice of the computer for a whole lot of time. So that was pretty cool seeing her. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, it, first of all, it's a fun read, right? It's, yeah. Once you sit down to read it, it's you're kind of blazed through it, right? Yeah, 100. percent Right, because um, I saw you 12 <laughs> hours ago. Yes, that's correct. And I'm like, have you read the book yet? Because we're doing the podcast tomorrow, and you're like, oh, I'm on like page 80, Stop. and the book is like 360 <laughs> yeah, um, pages. That was me yesterday too. Uh, a Sunday morning, I was about 90 pages in, and I finished it last night at about 11:30. <laughs> yeah, so like once you sit, once you find oh, the time, it great. it's a pretty brisk read. And and this yeah. is not a knock on Mr. Max no, writing. No. This is exactly what it's supposed to be. It's brisk. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I mean, it's thoughtful, but it's not like hard work. You know, it is It is a pleasant read, uh, you know, if you're on a train, if you're. That is you know, where go- I did most of my reading. Nice. Okay, there you go. So so you blaze through it, and, yeah. and Brian, you blaze through it also. Um, I guess what I wanted to, to mention at first was that. Uh, it is set one year before, mm-hmm. and and David Mack did say that it, the I the basic premise was handed to him by Brian by Fuller. Brian Fuller, uh, who said, "Look, let's get a little backstory about Burnham and Saru and Georgiou. and it does answer a lot of questions about the relationships, and also does a pretty yeah. good job of addressing some of those annoying questions that some fans have had about like <laughs> why why does their uh, uniforms look different? Yeah, and they basically say. Um, they just say just because they do. Like they're different ships, <laughs> and they were made at different times. Like there was a part yeah. where the medical teams beam down together. Yeah, and he's described it as like you know, uh, Doctor Boyce, who was you know uh, from the from the cage. You know, uh, Boyce is a character. Doctor Boyce's team had their gray tunics, and then the crisp yep. white teams. Like okay, where it's literally it's like they just got their uniforms made more right. recently, so that's what they look like now, and that's about it. There's also a thing in the in the um, in the uh, transporter room when they're like, "Oh, your transporter room looks different from mine." Yeah, yeah. Like your corridors are different color. 
So it's like, you know, don't try to hide it, I guess. Yeah. But it's all but it's also it makes you realize how how much of that debate was meaningless. <laughs> like, you know, like people are like, This this shatters the reality. Or you can just kinda of say it's like, no, that's just how it is. Yeah. Exactly. So what was your favorite part, Karen? What was the, to pick one favorite stra- of the many storylines, and we could do a little thumbnail of all the storylines. What was your favorite storyline? We've definitely spoken about this already, but all the like Saru stuff was yeah. definitely my favorite. As soon as I figured out that he was going to get his own like character POV chapters, yeah. I was delighted. <laughs> and even more so when the storyline with Una started like coming yeah. up. I remember I was talking to a friend when Discovery started airing, and she was like, if this was Mass Effect 1000%, I would choose the option to date the alien. <laughs> and I was like, that's exactly how I feel about this show. So the fact that that like, kind of got like a little yeah. flirt was very cute. Well, it's, you know, the Saru stuff is good because one thing that has been, I don't want to say bugging me, but mm-hmm. I-, I am curious about is like Saru is a bit of a fraidy cat. You know, yeah. he's nervous. So part of me is like, why do they keep this guy around? Why is he right. such a high-ranking officer? And this shows him doing his stuff. Yeah, like he does good work. He does good work. Um, he's very smart. He's a very capable... He's sort of like a... I mean, even though he's not an engineer, he kind mm-hmm. of fills the Geordie LaForge role. He's yeah. like a very uh, capable, uh, science-minded guy. But also it talks about his backstory, which I don't think has been discussed on the show at all. Like he is the only Kelpian in Starfleet. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was knowledge. reading. I was like, I don't think we right. have... We know that much about his species besides the whole like threat instinct thing. No, no, we really don't. And so a lot of uh, 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 there is some some backstory about the planet Kelpia in mm-hmm. here and the apex species and the, the lives they've lived. And also, um, it talks about how Starfleet rescued him. Yeah, I hope they do a flashback so badly <laughs> in the back half of the season. Yeah. Uh, because it reminded me a little bit of how like Starfleet kind of found Data and like yeah. took him under their wing. Um, because Saru does refer to himself a lot. He talks about his Kelpian instincts mm-hmm. and the struggles he has as a Kelpian, and it kind of makes him a, a little, I guess, neuroatypical or whatever you want to say. But uh, he also refers to himself as the way we do it in Starfleet. Yeah, you know, he's very proud of his new adoptive philosophies and lifestyles and um that whole thread really i thought was really cool i love i really loved it and it also serves kind of as a further way to parallel his story with michael burnham's because she's also doing the kind of like whole dual cultures thing yeah which i don't think is um as obvious in discovery just because we don't have as much like inner narration right 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 yeah um, yeah, so the basic premise is this. It's a year uh, before Battle of Discovery, uh, Battle of the Two Stars. Uh, you know, Shenzhou's zooming around doing what they do. And there is a uh, colony mm-hmm. that has an incident. And the Shenzhou has to come to the rescue. And then there is, uh, it elevates. So the Enterprise has to come to the rescue to help out. And then there's like a lot of interplay between these three mm-hmm. things. And then there is an away mission in which Saru and Una, or number one, go off to like look at cave paintings, which yep. is very nice. <laughs> um, but it's more, nice so much more chill. Yeah, but more <laughs> excitingly, Burnham mm-hmm. and her baby brother, to a degree, although they didn't really live together that yeah. much, Spock go and they get caught in. Um, you know, Resident Evil yeah. or Saw, or there's a. Saw's a pretty good analogy. They get stuck in Saw. They get stuck. Also, there is an Alistair Reynolds uh, novella, Deep Heart. And I, I should ask David Mack if he's read it. I don't know. But there, well, I wrote it down because I, I, I read this 10 years ago. Alistair Reynolds, who wrote uh, Revolution Space and, and a lot of great 
hardcore, uh, hard SF, diamond hard SF. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book called Diamond Dogs, and it's about a. Um, it's similar in that they get they go to what thing they go mm-hmm. to like a haunted house basically and there's sure. traps and it's puzzles so yeah. Spock and and Burnham have to um, solve puzzles to mm-hmm. save the world and it's awesome it's just so free and they're vi- and they there's like one thing that really did feel like Resident Evil there's like a, there's like an axe floating yeah, was, and, <laughs> as soon as I read the description though, it was like, there's a bunch of saws just swinging around yeah. everywhere <laughs> I was like okay it's kind of ridiculous and then the other relationship really although they don't go together they sit in their own captain's chairs is pike and georgiou yeah um and they butt heads it gets pretty serious because the colony um is there's a mining colony and they've been doing it all wrong they didn't fill out their paperwork basically yeah. and uh they're they're kind of an immoral mining colony uh they are not part of the federation mm-hmm. they've sort of divested themselves from the Federation, but they need Federation help because in their offshore drilling, they have uncovered what at first I thought was going to be Godzilla. Right? <laughs> but then it turned out to be like uh, an ancient spacecraft. And it, it it sort of becomes you know fairly typical Star Trek episode. Like yeah. There's this thing from an ancient culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we tell it to stop trying to kill us? <laughs> and, and that's basically it. But, and this was really interesting, and Brian, I'm curious to see what you think about this. Um, Captain Pike comes to town with the express order from the uh, admiral that, like, you've got to kill this. They call it the Juggernaut. Yeah, is the spaceship, this ancient, maybe alive spaceship. They don't really know um, that's sending out drones and killing people. You have to destroy the Juggernaut, and the only way to do it because they can't, for whatever reason, they can't um, tractor beam it out past the gravity well so it's, they can yeah have they to, said it was too smooth or something like they that had, yeah, to grab on. yeah there was some of the ablative plating or something like that <laughs> so they had to fire photon torpedoes of it at it on the surface of the planet and by doing so they would kill the population the and Pike is like dirty job but somebody's got to do it and Georgia was like nope what the hell not gonna happen yeah so were you surprised by Pike's willingness to follow orders that that easily um I mean, I think he was still conflicted. Uh, it wasn't yeah. as like, oh, he's like, I got to do this. I guess they told me to. I should do it. I mean, he was like, I don't like it either, but I, I have to. Yeah. Um, you know. So, uh, and I think he liked that the uh, admiral, you know, said like, hey, we need you to go there because we don't think this person will do it. But you know, they don't trust Giorgio. They they think they carry it out. They've... So I mean, it could be a, a, a like a power push on his part. You know, oh. it's like, hey, uh, the admiral. He wants wants me to do this. Oh yeah, that's a good point because Giorgio is um, superior to yeah. Pike. Correct. Pike is Pike is an inf- which which doesn't really quite jibe with um, <laughs> that episode of Discovery when uh, Saru was like, "Show me the finest captains in Starfleet." <laughs> yeah. and they, they mentioned Giorgio, but they also mentioned Pike. I was like, "All right, fair enough." Um, Just a little retconning. It's okay. Yeah, a little retconning. But but what's funny is. Um, uh, Burnham and Burnham also. So Burnham, so Georgiou and Pike are about to have a space battle mm-hmm. in the orbit of this planet where these like gross uh, miners and they're all like the miners are like prevaricating and hiding information. They all kind of suck. Being jerks, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, but they still want to save their lives. Like, you know, even yeah. though these people are jerks, we don't want to kill them and also destroy this ancient, this what well, yeah. we now know there's an ancient artifact from an alien culture. That's like not very Starfleet to blow it up. You mm-hmm. want to study it. Um, what would Picard say? So um, <laughs> while they're fight, they're about to go to war, and Burnham 
does a little something interesting, which is once again she kind of goes behind Giorgio's back as she'll do at in the Battle the series, of Binary yeah. Stars. And and literally on day one of the, end of the first office. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, she just got promoted. Uh, the day, but she goes behind the captain's back, but does like a reverse Vulcan hello from the mm-hmm. show. Like Whereas in the other show was like, she was all into like, no, we must be more bellicose, we must attack. Here she was like, no, 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 we got to defuse the situation. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting flip. Yeah. You know? And the way she defuses the, the situation is just awesome. She knows there's somebody on the other ship she could talk to. Who does she talk to? She talks to Spock, her semi-brother. Her semi, she sends him a private message. Mm-hmm. She texts him, basically. <laughs> and she and Spock are able to like get everybody to take a beat. And then uh, they look for alternate. They kind of all stall for time, yeah. basically. And the stuff between her and Spock is really, not to use a, a, a Vulcan phrase, is pretty fascinating because, <laughs> you know, when you're writing for these new characters, um, you know, it's a little diff- it's it's one thing, but like when Spock comes in, it's like, especially now that He's... Leonard Nimoy is dead, it's like, oh my God, it's like the most important guy yeah. in all of fiction is here. You know, yeah, and he's already important? like got a very big reputation. Even like if you don't really know Star Trek, for example, like me, you still know Spock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then David Mack gets his humor well. Like Spock is, yeah. a, even though Spock is allegedly not emotional, he's a funny dude. You know, <laughs> and so he and Burnham go off on this quest basically, mm-hmm. and they don't really like each other. They have a little bit of a sibling rivalry. Although it's not like they they really were not brother and sister, like because they were Didn't educated like differently. Yeah. But they the the thing that bu- bugged Spock, as you'll learn, is that he it just always kind of shocked him that there was someone else out there that had a parental relationship with his parents. Yeah. So uh, and I think and Burnham and Sarek's relationship is way screwed up. You know. Yeah. But there's a lot going on there. So um, yeah. It's pretty neat, and uh, the the other thing about that particularly that I liked was um, uh, about the Spock stuff was uh, you know it's kind of I, mean, I don't want to give too much away, but they have like <laughs> when they have their big climactic thing, they have a mind. Melt, That's true. Basically. How far are we allowed to get into the like spoiler territory? Since September. Okay, so, fair. I mean, they, like, I think we should we're gonna have to put a spoiler warning. Yeah, we'll put a spoiler. All right, we'll so, keep I mean, it. We'll they, have like they halves. have their big mind meld. It's, yeah. they, and like and the, like they kind of have to like in order to save yep. the day, they must mind. It's meld. one of the saw traps. Yes, and <laughs> neither of them want to mind meld for mm-hmm. like they're all shot. I mean, I would want to mind meld. You know, with you know what though? I I felt that um I understand the 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 place in the story that took but Burnham's reluctance like bothered me like really like really bothered me that it's really? like hmm I won't do this but I'm gonna literally all these people die because I don't want to share my brain like I, I, I understand true, I like it's it seems like a little too like where does it mesh with how we like, know her character it's like so hey we need a conflict here so let's put this here you know it doesn't right, quite make right. sense yeah well I mean because I mean, you're right Giorgio will die so all of her pals will everybody die everybody would die but you, but you know mind melts like, if I'm, you want me to mind melt with you well, I, I'm going to know every time you well, farted in class you know God. it's going to be rough you yeah know? but but uh, mil- uh, hundreds of thousands of lives are not on the line <laughs> that's true that's true you're a good man Brian I like that <laughs> Uh, it's tough, you know. It's it's and, and but then they explain, you know, why it's so yeah, meaningful no. to her. There's all this psychological damage. Her parents were killed in a terrorist attack, and stuff with the mother. And yeah. blah, and then, blah blah. And then her and, previous uh, mind meld as well, which was something yeah. we we learned about in the show. Yes, yes. Um, so which is crazy. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember some of the details they mentioned in the book happening from the the perspective we got on the show. Like I think the, they they shaved it to its essence in mm-hmm. the show. I yeah. think I think you get a little bit more 
you get the dots uh, filled yeah. in here. So you learn more about wh- how the parents died and why, and Burnham feels responsible and all mm-hmm. that. And um, is resurrection via mind mill something that has occurred in Star Trek before? Not. Sp- no. Okay. What has happened was there was something where Spock dumped his katra or his sure. essence into the vessel known as of Dr. McCoy, the end yeah. of Star Trek II, and then an ancient ritual was able to bring it back to his body, which had been reformed on the Genesis planet. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the Genesis planet took Spock's dead body, uh-huh. and because it was in a rejuvenative state uh it it revivified the body somehow but it was an empty empty vessel right it wasn't spock had dumped his katra into dr mccoy Mm -hmm. and then star trek 3 the whole point is getting dr mccoy's brain spock's body (laughs) back to vulcan and then the ancient priestess did the ancient ritual known as faltor pan okay uh, which had only been talked about in lore and legend Uh but uh they were able to bring spock back from the dead all right cool that and a really good deal memo from paramount was able to get (laughs) spock back from the dead yeah um but yeah, that's that's how that went down. But no, the the so not exactly. Basically. No, what what they talk. I mean, it's it's hinted at in the show, but what's explored more in this book is um, the terrorist attack. Now, I think there were two terrorist attacks, right? There was one that killed Burnham's yeah. parents at yep. their home, yes, correct? And then there was one at the school. Yes, and, the, and that's when the mind meld happened. Yeah. yeah, and that was and the the reasons for those are still a little vague. It was like Klingon baddies were were just. That's about as much, I think, as we get. They, you know, uh, maybe later we'll discover that there's some political stuff in there we don't know about. But I'm sure there's um, something in the back half of the season. Yeah. So at the second one, Burnham was, you know, flatlined for X amount of minutes. Three minutes, I think. But said, yeah. um, the Sarek was able to do a, 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 a such a powerful meld that brought her back, mm-hmm. not at his own. He wasn't going to do it, but Amanda yeah. made him do it because Amanda felt which a great... also kind of angered Spock a little bit in a way. Yeah, <laughs> right. <'cause... laughs> I mean, like everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Wow, mom never did anything that for me." Yeah. You know, she made me pack a lunch, and here, uh, <laughs> and here, here she is uh, telling her to bring this this person back to life. So it's heavy stuff, you know. Um, but in that, in those mind meld scenes, and the writing in that section is clever because. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they switch personas. Yeah, and it like puts them into the other person's memory, but still as themselves. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty freaky. Um, so then there's, uh, you know, you get to see in, in brief sort of snapshots, Burnham's childhood and adolescence, mm-hmm. and Spock's childhood and adolescence, and all I'll say, and this is what I was referring to earlier, and, and uh, uh, there is an, an incident that Burnham witnesses through the eyes of Spock, which is from. Uh, deep cut Star Trek, an incident from um, the animated series. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, people who know it know what I'm talking about, but if you don't know, there's a very, you know, kind of the, the saddest moment in Spock's life. Uh, so you get to see, you get to see Aichaya again, if, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little. I did get yeah. like drifts of like the Futurama pizza dog episode <laughs> while reading that. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So that's the cool. You know, and by the way, I have just a couple of scattered notes. The the one other really cool thing that I loved about reading this um, is uh, like a couple things that is answered questions. Mm-hmm. So like Philippa Georgiou, like Georgiou is a Greek last name, 
Right. Michelle Yao does not look particularly Greek, <laughs> but she makes a reference to, to her, her ex-husband. Ex- ex-husband, Nikos. <laughs> I'm like, there you go. <laughs> Finally. All these months later, ex-husband Nikos. Check, you know, somebody explain that. Because they've, they've never mentioned her ex-husband before on the no, show, have No, no. I don't think yeah, so. No. I just accepted it. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, why she's not? got I mean, that's the thing. It was like, why? Yeah. Her name is Michael, for God's sakes. You know? Although I, I did go, find it so. funny that at so many points throughout, at least the beginning of the book, they go like, this person is British, or this person looks kind of Polynesian, or like, yeah. this person is Indian, where they made such a point out of uh, clarifying everyone's backgrounds. And I was like, I get it. I, yeah. I get it. That's, that's Star Trek novels. They all do okay. that. that. That is something something that uh that you'll get a lot of um uh you know in the Starfleet Corps of Engineer books okay. there's a lot of uh you know the uh the uh, country of in, you know stuff. yeah there's a lot of country of origin, you know <laughs> whose parents hailed from Sri Lanka but was raised in Canada okay. you know there's there there's a lot of uh point of origin stuff okay. for for better or for worse yeah. i mean i guess probably for the best uh, yeah, it's to nice. be inclusive but uh yeah, there was one. It was like her Polynesian heritage. That one is, was uh, weird because yeah. the way that they phrased it was Polynesian looking, and I was like, "What?" It was the Rock? Maybe it was for the Rock. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Who knows? Uh, but Tarantino uh, Star Trek starring the Rock. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Genius. Yes. So I think that um, that Giorgio moment really was was a big win. And then the other one, and this is a hardcore. This is at the end of the book. I'm gonna just come right out and say it. The, like the last ten pages is after the adventure. Spock goes through a lot. First of all, they save a planet. Yep. Uh, but he personally goes through a lot because of the meld. Mm-hmm. He understands his parents a little better. He has a new relationship with Burnham, and he also, most importantly, has a new relationship with himself. And Una, number one, is like uh, they're in the mess hall, and yeah. he's trying to eat his plomeek soup, but he's like <laughs> staring at his soup, not really eating. And Una's like, "You seem different." You seem quiet. You seem reserved. And then the, narr- the 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 interior monologue is like, I do feel different. I do see things differently. That is, uh, I mean, it works in the novel and it works in the story, but that's also kind of a hat tip to fans who, when they watch The Cage mm-hmm. as a joke, Spock in The Cage, because it was shot in 1964 yeah. before they came back to do the series, mm-hmm. Spock from The Cage oh, acts a lot okay. differently from the real okay. Spock. Okay. He, he yells <laughs> and he gets emotional. And um, there's a famous shot of him, like they're all on the transporter deck and they're about to beam, but then only Una and um, I forget the yeoman's name, the little redheaded yeoman, she, the, the two women disappear. And then they're like, everybody freezes and Spock, Leonard Nimoy just goes, the women! Like, ah! It's like a really weird moment. It's kind of like a really awkward line reading. So that I feel was uh, David Mack saying, I have an opportunity here sure, to, to explain that, yes, that there was a moment of uh, evolution in Spock's yeah. behavior between the cage and <laughs> when we next saw him on TV yeah. in 1966 and the man trap or when they shot where no one has gone before, where no man has gone before yeah. etc so that I thought was a really smart move on their part uh, I did I, not catch I've obviously I didn't catch any of those I only caught like one other Star Trek thing I think which was like a catchphrase thing but anyway I don't know how Yeah there was a moment when Georgiou um <clears throat> is like having a bad day and um she thinks herself uh, angels and ministers of grace defend us which is a line from, uh, well, it's a line from Hamlet, but it's a line from <laughs> Star Trek Four. Uh, Bones says that when he's like, 
instead of going like, oi, you know, right. he says that line. And Giorgio says it. So that was a pretty smart wink in there also. I was thinking of when the dentist, like towards the end of the book, he's like, I'm not a doctor, damn it. I'm like, I'm a oh, dentist. Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't even catch that one. Yeah, you're I was right. like, I think this is I a- thought that was a very like weird little thing to oh, put 100%. in the- Oh, 100%. I love well, the I mean, dentist. Yeah. No, it was no, such no, a but- weird build up to it. Yeah, like, that's what like- <laughs> Like, it was just a weird little, like, added detail into the book that it... It, <laughs> it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Like, they make Mm-mm. a big stink at the beginning. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, all these characters, like, you know you're never going to see them again. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, kind of, it's like, make them fun or who cares? Which I think they did a good job. Like, they Sir, did, yes. The dentist is a great example. <laughs> I forget the character's name. Spiropolos Sp- or something like that. Awesome. Yeah, something something like he, that. They want to have an away mission, mm-hmm. and and they need to bring medical team. And the dentist is like, I never go on an away mission. Yeah. And he's like, because you're a dentist. What do they need with you? And he's like, if I don't get enough. Mm-hmm. It's like he wanted his SAG card or something. Yeah, like, if I don't like, get <laughs> enough of these <laughs> then I won't get promoted missions, I won't get promoted. Yeah. I'm a junior grade blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, you can come and just keep your mouth shut. And then, of course, they get down to the planet. And, and they the get shit captured. Has, yeah, they get captured. <laughs> and so the dentist is trapped there. So that was pretty... And yeah, that's a character that'll never appear again. I but I, I mean, it, also, I never thought about Starfleet Dennis. Like, what is their healthcare plan? But now I have a little bit you of You know, insight. it's funny. I, I think... Not, this is probably the only dentist I've seen in... There definitely is a barber. Mm-hmm. I've seen Starfleet barbers. Mott, he's a bullion. <laughs> but I've never come across a dentist before so that might right, be the good first for this guy. yeah spiropolis um <laughs> yeah there and there was there were a couple of other little nods to um to to those sort of things um they talked a little bit about um there was some shading about you know world war three that was which, insane to read i have to say yeah the, the, because they you know world war three is danced around a lot in star trek mm-hmm. lore you know intentionally but there's a line, um, they, they, they're figuring out how to, they have to quell like the, the populace of this, of yeah. this, of this uh, planet in the middle of like 20 other tasks. So, so um, it's remote controlled, Gantt said. The command system would be crippled by the same scrambling field that's blocking our transporters. And as I'm sure you recall, autonomous robotic attack systems, and then Saru interrupts, are prohibited by Federation law. Uh, he said, finishing the citation, a most nettlesome restriction, if you ask me. Ensign Fan turned good. away from the communications console. That's what the people of Earth, Earth used to think right up until World <laughs> War III. Every time I think of those killer bots in the streets of Paris, I get oh a shiver God. down my spine. And that's it. That's all you as get. As soon as I was like, are we talking about drone warfare Yeah, like, what right is now? going on there? Like, I need to know more about that immediately. <laughs> Uh, but no, but that's all you get, and yeah. that, you know, and this is just uh, a, you know a nice little thing that's hidden in there, mm-hmm. and there are other similar things, um, particularly the Saru stuff. So uh, about his uh, his background, and I want to see like a bunch of Kelpians at once. I feel like it'd be very unsettling. Yeah. Well, the good news is this: um, the next book that is being that has been announced, that's the second to next one. The one yes. that's coming out in February is written by Dayton Ward. Has also been a guest on the show. Uh, and it is set, I think, a year before Desperate Hours. Okay. Uh, it's set on Talos Four, mm-hmm. which is the planet from the incident in the cage. I think that's what it is. 
I could have gotten my facts wrong, but it's not set during the cage. It's set before the cage. I just remember that you texted me. Well, this is the third one. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, okay. So the one that's coming out next from Dayton Ward is, I believe what it is going to be is like, if you go to the cage, if you watch the cage, when they get there, uh, there is the hologram of the ship that crashed there. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that the book will be the true story of what happened. Uh, Okay. All right. That sounds pretty cool. I'm down. That's cool that it like all ties back to the other stuff. And then the third one, which will be coming out in summer, is I think it's just called Saru. Oh my god! Saru origin stories or whatever. <laughs> so they're doing a Saru book uh, next summer, and it's James Swallow is writing. He's I believe British. Mm-hmm. James Swallow. I've read. Um, he did. An, oh, you know, if I had my computer, like I said, we're not at the usual studio right now. I believe James Swallow wrote one of the Deep Space Nine prequel novels called uh, the Terok Noor trilogy, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's going to be dynamite. So you're going to get all. All your Kelpian very excited goodness through that, and then eventually there'll be Saru comics. They can't not have <laughs> Saru comics. I mean, it's just too good. So, uh, was that your favorite? That so we said that 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 was your favorite section. Was I loved all the Saru stuff. Yeah. I also liked um, getting to spend more time with Georgie just because I yeah. love Michelle Yeoh. And when yeah. it was announced that she was going to be in the show, I was so excited. And then she died like right. so quickly. Right, right, right. Um, so getting more of her and also just um, more of an idea of her as a captain was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, and you know what? She, I, I didn't really realize it until reading this book. Yeah. Because uh, she was only in two episodes. Yeah. She she had a pretty, made a pretty resonant mark. Like I could hear yeah. her voice. Yeah, yeah. In this, and she's very funny. Yeah, you know, she has a playful side. She has like a, no, kind of like an anarchic side. She uh, yeah. she likes not doing what people tell her to do. Right? <laughs> she likes doing the right thing, which is not necessarily the ordered thing. Yeah, yeah, and I could definitely hear. Um, that character, the Michelle Yeoh's character in it, and she's tough, you know? She's, she's so charismatic. Like, it's hard yeah. not to immediately just see her, even in text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that her office doors can frost over. Yeah, that's glass. great. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, did you have a favorite section? Um, I, you know, when you asked uh, Karen that, I was thinking if I had one, and I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I really enjoyed the entire book. I, I mean, yeah, I, I hated the miners. I love the Spock and <laughs> uh, I love the Spock and Burnham stuff. I love Saru and Una. I love Pike and Georgiou. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, I I came away thinking like Pike does not come out come across too great in this. Like he's got you some know, um, he's got some explaining to do. Like he he did not act like a righteous man. I feel you know? like he has a pretty big reservoir of goodwill to draw on, though. Sure, but like if it was Kirk or Picard in right. his shoes, they would have found a way. Right. Like I mean, they would I, not have. I feel to like the this Admiral. this was this was probably earlier in his career. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and maybe he hasn't. Uh, I don't know. I, I I got the vibe that he was trying to prove himself. Yeah, there. Know? I think yeah. there are a few passages in it that were talking about like how he's still kind of a young officer. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and also, um, yeah, what was worried about his perception a yeah. little bit, whereas Georgiou was was not as much. You know, <laughs> she could not care less. Well, yeah. I mean, she could, but. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I think so. Those were kind of all. Uh, all the notes I had on that. Um, there, there were two little minor details that I uh, I, I wanted to mention too. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, these were characters that were from the the pilot of yeah. Discovery that yeah. I think made appearances in this book. Um, I don't have a, an image of him, but uh, there was a guy. We, we talked about this in the trailer or the first the Daft Punk episode. Helmet, dude? Yeah. Oh yeah, well, he's no, in there. Well, that too. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, the. It was a guy that they, they mentioned he had cybernetic implants. Yeah. Oh. I think there was yeah, a guy yeah. with a blue face that had some like pointy things coming out, almost like pinhead looking. Yeah, yeah, he's in here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that was Lieutenant Troke. 
something yeah. in this book. Uh, and, um, and there's somebody named Januzzi. That was a Januzzi, great name. Yes. Yeah. And then um, this I have an image of is I remember this from the from the pilot. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the VR helmet. The VR lady. helmet. I was very happy to have that explanation of what that was. Yeah, but you know, VR helmet lady screwed up her job. She, <laughs> she, she <laughs> definitely was, did. She's not very good at her, at no, her work. No, she is not. She is not. But. <laughs> That that was a detail that I remembered from the uh, from the pilot that I'm like, oh wow, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Yeah, and yeah. That gave it to me. So yes, I was happy yes. to see that. Some of those uh, images from the early trailer and from the first episodes, you're going to get to know more about that. And then Detmer, which Detmer. is not like a joke at this point. Like we're never going to get to know anything about her. She's not just really, that woman. No. Yeah. Well, we got with the, nice we, eyes. We got more. Uh, to, we we found out more about those two characters than we did about Detmer. Right. Detmer's still around. Detmer's the yeah. one who lived. Yeah. <laughs> There was one. There was like one little note about her where it said that she, um, like she was like, like it was implied that she was good at her at being hell. And <laughs> yeah. like, and she's top notch. Yeah. Like, okay. Yes. Good. We're good. As good a detail not, as any. Yeah. Yeah. Not much background, but no. you know, I guess it's funny. Take it. Well, you know, the show's well, gonna maybe, be maybe they have more plans for later. Five on, seasons so. from now, we're never gonna know anything about her. That would be the joke. Six seasons, she'll get like a Detmer episode. Right. That'll be the one. It'll like open up like on Earth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it'll be like, "What is this?" And it'll be like, um, "This little redhead, little, yeah, kid little redhead girl." It'll be like the Detmer story. Yeah, yeah. It's like there she is, a youth, and and uh, we'll get to see the whole thing. Slightly belatedly, am I wrong, or did they mention that Michelle Yeoh was going to be coming back in some capacity? I feel like they said she would have. A... I imagine that it has to happen. Um, right, I mean, like they can't get her. They can't get her such a then... huge, a huge actress to play such a large role and not have her come back. Um, yeah. I, I my guess is flashbacks or yeah if force know, ghost <laughs> I'm sorry yeah sure why not maybe maybe she's in, maybe she's a hologram or something now who knows mm-hmm. or um you know th- there are other possibilities as well okay yeah it would be great it would be great to see her again um I like the force ghost idea <laughs> um, it was kind of on my mind while I was reading this because the last like tie-ins that I really read were like the X-Wing novels. Yes. Which, I mean, I liked in the same capacity where I was like, yeah. I get to find out about characters that I don't really see in the movies or yeah. the series or whatever. But anyway, yeah, it's a different bag of... Yeah, you know, re- yeah, I'll tell you something. Reading franchise fiction is, I mean, sometimes it's a speed read. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes they're not very good. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you will find yourself reading a really good book and you would say to yourself... I mean, usually science fiction, but but not always. And it would be like, in a way, if this wasn't branded mm-hmm. a Halo novel like, or whatever, I still would think it was well, good, not yeah. that, like I, like more people would potentially be reading it, you know? Right, right, right. And I feel like there are probably authors mm-hmm. who have ideas for for sci-fi books or fantasy books, and they're not able to sell them. Yeah. But then they get a gig where they can do a tie-in book. Yeah, yeah. And they can say, oh, well, I can work in those characters. Because there are always characters that are new to each story. Right. Like, in this book, um, it's all the people on the colony. And they sort of take, they're not front stage, mm-hmm. you know. So this is not the best example of what I'm talking about. But, um, well, David Mack, for example, he wrote a very important Star Trek trilogy called the Destiny Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And there is a whole planet and a culture in that that never, that's, you know, only exists in the Destiny Trilogy. Yeah. And it's great. And because it's three books, he has a little more time to spread it out. <laughs> um, like, if you took that kernel of what, and I forget the name of the planet they go to, but um, mm-hmm. they're trapped in, actually. It's like a prison planet. Um, if you pick that out of the trilogy, and packaged it in another original like sci-fi it book. It would successful. be. Well, I don't know if it would be more successful, but it would work. You know, right, right. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a paradox of our age that it's very difficult to sell original 
stuff now. There's a. a it kind of sucks sometimes because there's been yeah. a there've been a couple reboots or remakes that I've seen this year where I was like, if you had just called it something else, I would have liked it way more than if you were like, this is a property thing. Yeah, just, like in movies or television shows? Or? I thought, ugh, this is going to get me a lot of flack, no, but I thought, it. I thought about the new Blade Runner movie where I was like, oh, I think it's good, but I yeah. would have liked it more if you just said this is a new sci-fi movie, it's not a Blade Runner property. Hmm. I don't know if I... I well, I need you to walk me through that a little bit more because so much of the new Blade Runner is dependent on like the story I mean it really does pick up the story from before I mean how you would need to finagle it a little bit yeah for sure but um, I mean all the stuff about um, the nature of like AI especially the whole like Joy storyline and also how Joe ends up being I mean spoilers for Blade Runner I I guess but But, uh, all the stuff about how he basically is a red herring even though he's the main character and how everything eventually has to tie back to the Blade Runner mythos I was like I would have liked it more as like a standalone just about him or just about the development of artificial intelligence right, in this right. future society. And he could still go on like a father quest, but it doesn't have to be Harrison yeah, Ford. Yeah, it can yeah. just be like this character, mm-hmm. you must find him, you know? You know, you're not necessarily uh wrong, yeah. I mean and there are you know, that's just one example, but um, you know, I mean, I keep yeah. seeing uh, I keep hearing about the there's a new Netflix series, uh Altered Carbon. I keep, oh, I, I saw keep, a trailer for that. Feeling, it literally looks like, like a Blade wow, Runner. It feels a lot like Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> so almost, that one. yeah, no, it looks really good. It looks like if someone uh, had a lot of money and made a Blade Runner knockoff. It's not out yet, right? No, I don't believe yeah, so. I it's like it's James February Purefoy and Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> Joel Kinnaman. When you can't get Jay Courtney, you get Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> That's such a low blow. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any dog in this fight. So. Um, what is it called again? Altered Carbon. Yeah. Altered Carbon. I'll watch that show. Oh, but it's a Netflix show. Yeah. It is a Netflix show, yeah. Now, I, I love Netflix. I pay for it. They have. I don't like the fact that it all comes out at once. It's yeah. really annoying. It's stressful because... <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you got to watch it all, otherwise it's going to get spoiled at the water cooler. Oh, absolutely! That's the thing. Or then, I like having it all accessible at once, but I don't like the culture of yeah. everyone having. Oh, it's to totally it fine if you miss the boat. Like I still have not. This, uh, mock me if you must. I have never watched Breaking Bad. Damn. I know. I might as well just leave the country. I know. <laughs> so, I, but I'm going to do it eventually, yeah, yeah. and it's my fault that I didn't do it at the time. So if I get spoiled, that's fine. I know I mean, Heisenberg, whatever. My dad only but, watched it in like the last two or three years, and he like still ha- was not spoiled for it. So I think you'll okay. Be fine. Fair, but the point is like, and I do like the fact that when I do get to mm-hmm. it, I'm going to chow down and, and yeah, go through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's happening new, because Star Trek Discovery is on Netflix in Europe, and they do it week oh, to really? week. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. And even though, I mean, All Access is not, um, All Access is its own thing. Yeah. The week-by-week aspect of this show, Discovery, is something I really admire. It's nice. And some shows do yeah. better that way. Like, I, oh, God. Um, well, I, mean, I was watching oh. Vice Principals earlier this year over the last two seasons, and I was thinking, this does fine as episodically, but sometimes, like, some shows just work better as an entire whole, and other shows are kind of better if you can space it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I pretty much I binged the heck out of uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, did you like it? Oh, I haven't seen it so, yet. Okay, it's so good. <laughs> um, but that works well as a binge because it's mm-hmm. kind of like one long episode. Sure. Um, and it's eight episodes, so it's oh, not okay. that long. Uh, I think the last one is an hour, and but most of them like forty-seven minutes or mm-hmm. so. So we watch two a night. Yeah. So we start on a Monday, nice. ended yeah. on a Wednesday. Yeah. You know, and that was fine. Um, but. Yeah, the other binge stuff, it just, it just, I mean, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly the model is working for them. Yeah. So 
us griping about it. But <laughs> I, do, I do. Yeah. I, I feel like there. I mean, well, you know, eventually maybe it will. You know what'll happen? They're going to do a test. They're going to have one property that people really, really are anticipating. Right. Something really big. And they're going to try it out week to week and see how it mm. goes. Because they have the technology to do it because mm-hmm. they do it in Europe. You know, eventually Disney slash Marvel is going to have their own That's CBS All Access. Yeah. And they're going to have Star Wars on Oh, they've there. already announced it. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't have uh, the money for that. <laughs> Well, eventually you're going to cut cable. You're going to get rid uh, of yeah. cable. I still don't. I don't have cable. Well, I still don't. <laughs> you're also going to get a job. No, okay, you're going to. You're, you're going you're, you're to have all these things, and they're going to get rid of uh, cable and the the Marvel Disney one. When when Star Wars the show live action with real actors, Oof, yeah, not Joel Kinnaman, but when do you know, think that's going to happen? Within like the next five or ten years. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no Joel Kinnaman. They'll get Jai Courtney for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> No, like the, when they have like whenever when the Star Wars show is cooking, then a decision needs to be made. Do we do we drop it all at once or do, or do it week by week? And this Star is Trek my, is 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 this is my argument. If yeah. we look at Discovery as an example, mm-hmm. yeah, th- think about how 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 much we talked about uh, Tyler Vock leading up to yeah that. If they imagine like that, imagine that was all a binge. Mm-hmm. And you just it just happens like that's there's no, no. there's no fun yeah. in that. It completely kills the conversation. Yeah, the mystery, no, the week to week aspect. It, it was it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It um, feels like quote unquote kind of old school to have at this point to have the episodes week by week. But it's nice. It's like yeah. I like having something. What are the big, to. the big shows that are still week to week? Are Game of Thrones, yeah. Walking Dead, probably, which everybody yeah. hates. Yeah, but, uh, everybody hates it again. Yeah, but it still gets people watching and talking. Yeah. And then um, I don't know, like how how to get away with murder. Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know what's on the air on television anymore. I, think so. yeah. I mean, Sunday Scandals nights. Is that's it. Yeah, it's it's not. So I predict that. I, I predict. Here's my bold prediction. Okay. If I had the soundboard today, Brian, I push a button. <laughs> the Star Wars show may or may not be week to week, and the reason I'm mentioning <laughs> that is like no, no. <laughs> This is my prediction. They're going to spend a lot of time doing uh, A-B testing on it and thinking about mm-hmm. it. They're not just going to say, oh, we should binge it. And everybody goes, yep, yep, yep. They're going to be like, we got to really think this through. we got to milk it. we got to milk it. And I think they should do it week to week. Uh, but that's just me. Also, who cares about Star Wars? This is a Star Trek podcast. I was going to say, we've right. given so much air time. Just yeah, to, I feel you know like where I'm going in like fault, but... a few hours? Oh, <laughs> Go really? to see Star Wars. Oh, man. Can the I Last Jedi. I wish. Humble brag. <laughs> a little bit. Me and the Porgs. I don't know too much about the new one. I haven't. I watched the trailer once. That's the yeah, same that, thing I did. I, I was do like, for I don't movies. need more. I watched the trailer. The, the, the first trailer they put out is the only thing I watch. And then I yeah. go, you already have my money. Why do I need to see more? <laughs> yeah. The, there was one battle. It looks like it's on snow. And there's like red. Uh, that looked pretty dye. cool. Why it reminded there... me of like the Godzilla. Uh, the, the Godzilla the movie Godzilla. that came out. Yeah. Like yeah. Two, I like the new Godzilla. Ago. It ruled. It yeah. was great. What, why would there be red smoke? Oh, uh, cool. Sand? Red squad sand? Not Red Squad. Uh, maybe it's a diversion tactic. Who knows? The, what is um? Who's the guy in this? These new movies. Who's the bad guy? Not Kylo Ren. No, the, the other one. Snoke. Um, Snoke. No, the other one. The the shit. Oh, sorry. Can we cuss? Uh, yes. Yeah. You okay. Cuss. I'm sorry. Um, there's cussing in the book too. By the way, <laughs> that's they say true. they say the s word. No, it's um. What's Bur- Burnham his? Burnham says it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She does. <laughs> what is the name? He's the oh. Domhnall Gleeson. What is yeah. his character's name? Oh, God. oh um, Ambassador. Oh. Oh no! Right, Donald Gleason is right. in this movie. He's the head of the First Order. Donald Gleason. Oh, oh, goddammit. it! Um, I gotta I'm say, I'm not gonna remember. Yeah, you know what? The the new Star Wars movies. 
Hold on, I'm looking it up. I agree. They kind of go in one ear and out the other. I for 100%. Me. They I don't, don't like stick them. to your ribs. I, although, like, I'm the weirdo who was like, I love prequels, so I'm not. Yeah, no, a that's good unacceptable. <laughs> and, and your your relationship with the cure for wellness needs to be addressed at some point. It's also, so good. It's an it's okay so movie. Good. It's an Jordan. O- it's okay. Uh uh-uh. uh It's it's going on my top ten of the that's year. Fine. Did you see <laughs> the one Valerian? Oh. oh uh, okay. No, if you do, you get the name Donald Gleason's name. Um, uh, I'm almost have it. Sorry. I was interrupting about. Um, yeah, come on, stay on task. Um, I have to Google something. The <laughs> actor from those two movies you just mentioned, I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan. Donald Gleason? No, no, no. Donald Gleason's good. Uh, General Hux. General Hux. 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 That's right. Yeah. Right. 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 Jai Courtney? Who? Not. <laughs> um, Dane DeHaan. Yeah. I don't, lo- I don't usually like him that much either, but I, I love to cure for wellness so much. That, like I, um, everything about it. Wasn't that the movie that was supposed to be? Uh, it was Gore Verbinski. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, it was. I feel like that was made out of the death of his Bioshock movie. Uh, it kind of was. He like <laughs> reused like some of the sets or something for okay. it. It's yeah. the problem with cure for wellness <laughs> is so off track. It lacks a. Li- it just it just doesn't snap together. It is. <laughs> Is a I lot of great. It it's so good. A don't, lot of great don't component parts. I, I didn't. I, I didn't hate Valerian, but I did not like him at all. Uh, Valerian, Valerian, yeah, but he's terrible in Valerian. I've but he's Valerian, very Valerian is good enough to. So Are you I'm, saying it's better than a Cure for Wellness? A hundred percent. Oh my god! Yeah. But I'm going to give you something. I am going to be obnoxious film bro for a minute. Sure. Um, because you love <laughs> Cure for Wellness, <laughs> and you also you love Shape of Water, also, right? I love Shape of Water. Okay. Did you I see Evolution from like two years ago? Uh, there is this is such an obnoxious film bro moment. You should throw your <laughs> Poland spring up more. There is a I believe she's Serbian or uh-huh. you know from somewhere. There's a filmmaker by the name of um, I, I can't pronounce her name because it is uh, Lucille Lucille had Gialla. She's Gaspar Noe's wife. Is oh, but I shouldn't. Okay. But I don't want to. It's that sexist to. Uh, to uh, you know, describe someone by their spouse. So her name is Lucille Hadzil Hailovich. Can okay. you see? Uh huh. I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> she made a movie in 2015 called Evolution. Uh-huh. What language is it in? It was about falling in love with a fish man. Kinda. And it is it. Pla- this is also, like the- it's more like Shape of Wellness because a lot of fish Shape stuff. Shape of Wellness. Of, it's more like a, ro- the Road to Wellville. What is it called? The the <laughs> what is Wellville. what is the wellness movie Cure called? For yeah, that wellness. Cure We're for about wellness. So much interspecies romance right now. I feel like that's our through line. Where we, right. It all ties back to love. Cure for wellness wishes it could be evolution. Wow, that's and a throwdown. Evolution was a movie that played, I think, for six days in the United States. <laughs> so did Cure for Wellness. That's true, but it was a big hit in France or Belgium. Oh, okay. uh, country of origin is France, Spain, and Belgium. Uh-huh. Critical response: Rotten Tomatoes, eighty percent. Wow, oh, okay. what are the critics sure. now? It's so good. True. So that is my. Um, that is my gift to you. Thank you so much. Is for you to watch that movie. It's really, really good. I loved it. And Merry Christmas. The few, Thank you. Yeah, the few people. <laughs> but it's a lot like Cure for Wellness. Okay. They, they play in the same murky, eel-infested pool, mm. you know? So mm-hmm. I think I think you'll dig it. I, okay. think, I think you'll dig it. So yeah, end of the year, Karen Hunt, that your favorite movie of the year is Cure for Wellness? It's up there. <laughs> I think it's like, right. the things that I've been thinking about a lot are Cure for Wellness, Shape of Water, Lost City Z, and movie. Wormwood, which I saw this weekend, and I'm yeah. obsessed with. Wormwood is really good. It's so good. Yeah, that's another Netflix band. Watch that in one day. Yeah, I mean, it's four hours, so yeah. it's pretty doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wormwood is real cool. Real what cool. else is on my top ten this year? I'm not sure. Uh, which, uh, which was your favorite episode of Discovery? Hmm... 
I know it kind of feels like they're all one, right? <laughs> but they do. I mean, but there are. I watch them in pretty big chunks. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, um, there was the time loop one. There I like was... the time loop one. I like um, uh, pretty like domestic stuff. So when they're all just like hanging out and partying, I like that. The time loop one was the one. Oh, that's another thing I had to bring up too. Yeah. With, with the party, the parties. So in this book. Yeah. There's a nice, fancy, elegant party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, the contrast to the Time Loop episode is like the like the fist-pumping right, party. Right, yeah. <laughs> this party is, in a, is a grown-up party. Yeah. The one in this book, yeah. So I, I'm, just, I'm just curious what, what kind of parties actually exist in the future. I think right. the same range yeah. of parties that exist now. Right, okay. there are still adult parties. You may not get invited to them, no. but there are still adult <laughs> adult parties. No, you're right. There's, early on in this book, there's an adult party and... Um, <laughs> that sounds bad. No, no, like, like they're sitting around <laughs> drinking cocktails and, and talking. Yeah. You know, They're not shouting over music. Yeah, you know, they're like dressed formally. They're dressed formally, and then Saru like, goes and sulks for a while. Love him. Now, speaking of, and this is probably how we should wrap up, because you love Saru. I do. You love adult parties. Uh, I don't know about that part. It was, how many weeks ago did this happen? Two weeks. Two weeks ago, Karen and I, and other, uh, a lot of uh, alumni of this Mm -hmm. podcast were there. There was a little shindig. Uh, Emma was there. Emma was on last week. Um... Maybe Matt Singer was there. He tends to, I don't know. I don't remember. X amount of people that have been guests on this podcast were there. It was a um, party for end of the year for one of the movie studios. And um, one of the uh, movies that they were promoting was, in fact, Shape of Water. Yes. Which stars Richard Jenkins, who was in attendance. Yes. And um, was... uh, was Guillermo del Toro was there. Guillermo del Toro. Was Sally Hawkins there? I didn't see it. No, it was just the three guys. And the third one was Doug Jones. Who was very tall. He's the sweetest man alive. He was wearing a maroon sweater. I would say red. I think very festive red sweater. <laughs> festive, like I say, he was wearing a festive red sweater. And um, he was, you know, he's not a star. He's not a celeb. He can walk How down the street and nobody's going to know him. But at this party, he was like the king of the room. And everybody wanted to come and yeah, some people wanted to bug him and get a selfie with him. But some people just wanted to say, you're the best and we love you. Mm-hmm. So I was with uh, Karen and Emma mostly, and Emma was like quaking, like Saru herself. And Emma also was very tall, so her Saru qualities are really in effect. <laughs> and she was like, "I want to talk to him," and I went over and spoke to him. I was like, "Hey, Doug, how you doing?" Blah 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 blah. And then later, she was like, "I don't want to talk to him. I don't know what to do." And you were there, yep. and you were a little bit of hemming and hawing. You wanted to talk to him, but you... I, that's the same. Whenever I see anybody that I want to talk to, that it'll take me a while to work up the courage to go talk to him. Right, it's like diving into a cold swimming pool. You go know, so like so... talking to your crush at the high school dance. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so I and also uh, Doug Jones was being cornered by these two knuckleheads who I won't mention. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Doug needs rescuing anyway. I remember that you literally said that. Yeah. We were like, we have to rescue yeah. Doug Jones. So I go over and I go, hey, Doug, this gal here is your biggest fan, and so is she. And this was <laughs> Emma and Karen, and uh, there's a few other people were there also. A bun- about, I think, a gaggle of like six girls. Yeah. <laughs> I introduced Doug Jones to, to six young women at a party. <laughs> yeah. And then, Maybe but that's he, not the right time in the, for this. No, I was no, no. gonna say this doesn't sound. No, as no, no. Good. It was all very pleasant, and he, you know, he also was kind of a shy guy. I mean, he's yeah. an he's been in a million movies, but he's always under a ton of makeup. Yeah. Or so, you know. And then um, I forgot. It was just like, oh, I know, I love. I know he's he's in Shape of Water. He yeah. plays yes. the fish man. And we're like, oh, I love the fish man, and I love Saru. And then he's like, oh, Saru's my favorite. And then next thing you know. Doug was hugging everybody. It was a yeah. hug fest. It was hug fest 99. He's the sweetest man. He was I've ever hugging met. Karen. 
He was hugging Emma. He was hugging whoever else. Somebody's hand, handing around drinks. He was hugging that guy too. It was a lot of hugs. <laughs> so that was a nice moment, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get and did you get a selfie with him? Um, there's a picture of him with about like six of us, where he's like crouching down to be the same height. He's very tall. He's very it's, tall. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was. Um, I did not. Uh, at that point, I kind of walked him. Like my work is done here. I I needed to accomplish <laughs> two things. I needed to get Doug Jones away from the two Schmendricks that were bothering him. <laughs> so you and, were like Georgia in the in the party. Ah. But, yeah, but I helped he, out. He was saving people from Saru. Right, right, right. And I said, Saru, meet these nice people who who like you a lot and just want a hug. So, <laughs> on that festive moment, um, I think I think that it's basically time to roll uh, to roll out of here. Any final thoughts, Brian, on uh, on this episode? Um, no, I I just really enjoyed this book a lot more than I expected to. <laughs> And, uh, was this your first Star Trek? This is book? my first Star Trek novel. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm 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 I was thrilled. Good. And Karen, any last words from you? Also, my first Star Trek novel. I think that's less surprising than it would be for Brian. Right. Um, really enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I had oh, a really good time. It was a, pl- a pleasure to have you on. And if people want to continue interacting with you via the internet, uh, they can reach you on Twitter at mm-hmm. uh, Karen Y Han. K A R E N Y H A N. What does the Y stand for? Um, well, my legal first name is Youngin. It's my Korean name, and Karen's my legal middle name. But I just go by Karen. So. How's Youngin spelled? Uh, like the just Y O U N G hyphen I N. Awesome. Which okay. gets me a lot of like you young and you young and yeah, I get a lot of that. You know, out west, you know, I would like <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. Um, Karen Wyhan is on Twitter, and you can read her work at the Daily Beast and Vice and Vulture and um, everywhere else. So thanks again. And next week we're going to have a new episode, and then we're taking a little, a little programming note, Brian. Uh, the big move has happened. We're down here. Um, you know, changes. Uh, you we're going know, through some changes. Going, going like the Yes song <laughs> says, we're going through some changes. We're going to take a little hiatus. The show's not going away. We're just taking a little hiatus, part of which is due to a great irony in that I am going to be on the Star Trek cruise. <laughs> now, one would think that there would be no finer place to podcast from than the Star Trek cruise. <laughs> that actually the, would be amazing. But the Star Trek cruise is on the high seas. And I do not have access there's to... There's no internet on the high seas. There's no internet. There's not really, there is, but it's very expensive. <laughs> it's not in our seas, budget. No one can hear you so I will be recording, pro- uh, probably, we'll see. But um, like last year, I brought back some some, some uh, material. I will be recording, but I will, we will be taking a hiatus. And then um, the Sundance Film Festival is right after the cruise. So oh, I'm right. gone pretty much the entire month of January. So you won't be hearing new podcast. Until the show's back. Actually, that's After where it gets a little back. weird. The show will already be on the air for yeah. a few weeks. Yeah, the show the show starts the same week as the cruise, I believe. Yeah, I know. It's not ideal. So I ask the listeners to accept the mystery of life, and um, <laughs> we'll be back, but we're taking a little hiatus. But we've got one more show next week, and it's going to be a doozy. So until Woo! then, thank you for listening, and live long and prosper. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.